Okay, the question was, what is the significance of the Bohr radius? Student answer, the Bohr radius gives the most likely radial position of the electron in its lowest energy state. Some other questions people have. Why is it that the allowed stationary orbits are allowed only for integral values of h bar? I know this is a fundamental rule, but why? So the radial orbits are quantized in terms of the principal quantum number n and the angular dependence in terms of L and M. Um, so why? Why is there quantum mechanics? So this is not a question that we answer in science usually. We don't answer why, we answer how. So nobody knows why the world obeys quantum mechanics. Philosophers like to think about it, but uh, they don't know why either. So we may never know why. It just is. And we try to understand how it works, but we don't know why. I didn't understand what Griffiths meant when he said, peel off the asymptotic behavior. Basically, you've got two forms of U of rho by analyzing it in different limits. I don't understand why he came to the conclusion that U of rho must be a product of these two and some other functions. It's just some kind of onsides. Well, and then, uh, so we solve it for small r and large r, it reduces to some simpler functions. And then there's some answer to the differential equation, it's some function. We divide out that true answer by the two approximate answers. There's some function left over. So you can always do this. You can always say my solution is some arbitrary functions times some new function and find the equation for the new function. But usually, if you've solved for the asymptotic behavior and then you find the equation for the new function after factoring those out, you get a simpler equation to solve. If you just put two random functions inside and factored those out, you'd probably get a harder equation to solve. So this is just a technique of trying to simplify differential equations. Uh, another question, how can we assume that V of rho can be expressed in a power series? Well, most nice physical functions are smooth, at least fairly smooth, so they usually have a power series somewhere. Uh, it may have some limited range of convergence. But you can always try and see if you get, plug in a power series in the differential equation, see if you can solve it. Then you can see whether it converges. In this case, it's going to truncate to a polynomial, so that definitely converges. I'm not sure where the Laguerre polynomials came from. Or are they just a pattern observed from experiment? So they came from solving the Schrodinger equation with, for an electron and a Coulomb potential. But of course, they've been experimentally studied for the last almost, well, 80 years, 90 years. So. All the detailed predictions from those wave functions have been verified. Quantum numbers n, m, and l all seem to have some sort of physical attribute associated with them, as seen in the orbital drawings from last class. Is there a physical attribute associated with the principal quantum number rho, zero? So rho zero is not really the principal quantum number. n is the principal quantum number. And rho zero is just 2 times n. And it was just introduced 
to make the equations uh, look a little simpler by absorbing some factors into it. So it's no different from me. Okay, today we're going to do things slightly different. Because the hydrogen atom is so important, I actually have slides. The only lecture where I have slides for almost the whole thing. So I know some people hate having slides. How many people hate having slides? Only two people hate it. You guys will have to suffer through one lecture, and then we'll go back to notes. So, we want to solve the hydrogen atom, which means there's a proton and an electron. There's a coulomb potential between them, so we can use our nice equation for a central potential that only depends on the distance. Yep? There's a lot more of the energy between the proton and the electron than just the coulomb potential. They both have spins and stuff. We're just ignoring that? We're we're doing the simplest thing first, and then we'll, we'll get to the spins. Patience. First we take baby steps, then we take giant steps. E and M, you probably learned this formula for the coulomb potential with this horrible epsilon naught. We're going to rewrite that in this nice quantum mechanical way. This is h bar c alpha over r. And there's a minus sign because it's attractive. So given this, this is a definition of alpha, find structure constant. So you can write from this and this, you can see that alpha is e squared over 4 pi epsilon naught h bar c. And one of the reasons it's nice is that it's a dimensionless number. That's always nice. And if you plug in what these constants are, it's 1 over 137, which is an easy number to remember. Approximately 1 over 137. Actually, when they first measured it, they, it was about, the experimental value was 1 over, 1 over 136. And people started going a little crazy trying to come up with an explanation of why it was 136. And Eddington had a formula where, he, by counting various things, he added them up and got 136. And then they found out it was closer to 137, so he had to change his formula. <laughs> and uh, nowadays we know that's complete garbage because uh, if you measure the same thing at different distance scales, it actually changes. But you need to understand relativity to understand why that happens. So we're not going to understand that. Yep? Is that the same alpha? Is that the um, fine structure constant? <coughs> yes, it's, it is the fine structure constant. And in a later chapter, he's going to tell you that alpha is the fine structure constant. But we might as well start using it now. OK, we'll also, he's not telling you about the reduced mass yet, but later on, he'll tell you about the reduced mass. But then we can use mu already and not get confused with m, the orbital quantum number. So the reduced mass that you were learning classical mechanics product of the two masses that have a potential between them divided by the sum. And in our case, the proton is 2,000 times heavier than the electron. So down at the bottom is approximately just the mass of the proton, and then that cancels. So this is pretty close to the electron mass anyway. So with this notation, here's our radial Schrodinger equation. So we've already uh, separated variables and took out taken out the spherical harmonic. So we have a centrifugal barrier with a 
L times L plus 1. This is the total angular momentum squared. Here's our coulomb potential. Here's our reduced 1D looking kinetic term. And that is going to be U is our radial wave function. That has to be equal to the energy times the wave function. That's our radial Schrodinger equation. Any questions? So there's two types of solutions for this equation. Just like in classical mechanics, if the energy is negative, then you have bound states. When the energy is positive, you have scattering states, which make a continuum of unbound states. And we're just going to forget about those scattering states, because A, mathematics is slightly harder, and B, uh, it's quantum mechanics, so it's nice to see things quantized. So the scattering states aren't quantized in the same way because they make a continuum. So, but uh, when you get to graduate school, don't forget they're there. Because if you use some formula like uh, the completeness of the wave functions, that the wave functions make a complete set of all possible states, you're not complete unless you have these guys too. So they're there, and now we'll just ignore them. So to make uh, our notation a little simpler, Griffiths introduces this kappa. Since we're interested in negative energy states, this is the square root of minus 2 mu, the reduced mass times the energy. So the same thing inside the square root is positive. And it's divided by h bar. So then we can divide through our previous equation by the energy. And we'll get one of our kappa squareds here all these left-hand terms. <coughs> and then to get rid of that kappa, he introduces a row, which is kappa times the radial coordinate r. And yet another constant. Spend half the chapter defining these constants. There's a row naught, which is twice the reduced mass times the speed of light times the fine structure constant over h bar kappa. So the reason he's doing that is there's a dr squared here and a kappa squared there. Uh, there's a kappa squared and an r squared there. So these will, this will make rho squared and this will make d rho squared. And then for this term, we need this extra rho naught so that we can get something in terms of rho. So we still end up with one left over kappa because there's only one r here. But now it's, uh, once we introduce the row naught, we can get rid of that last kappa. So this is just rearranging our uh, radial Schrodinger equation again. So here's the kinetic term after all these rescalings. Here's the energy term, which used to be E times the wave function. Here's the Coulomb potential. Here's the centrifugal barrier, centrifugal potential. So everyone's happy that this is just uh, our ordinary Schrodinger equation disguised. So then the first thing we try to do is understand what happens for small r and large r <coughs> to make our life simpler. So for large radius, goes like 1 over rho. This goes like 1 over rho squared. So when rho is big, we throw them away. 
of this term. So that's an equation that's easy to solve. So the solutions are exponentials. They'll be e to the minus rho and e to the plus rho. But that won't make sense as a probability. It's not normalizable. So we can throw that one away. It's stupid. Then what about when rho goes to zero? We know how to do that one. So that's one over rho squared. So when rho is small, this is the biggest term. So we throw these two away. So we need to solve this differential equation with some constant over rho squared. Because we have a second derivative over here. The solution is obviously just powers. So to get this coefficient, we need to either need a rho to the L plus 1. Because when we differentiate, we'll bring down an L plus 1 the first time and an L the second time to get this coefficient. But if we also had a minus L, then we'll bring down a minus L the first time and a minus bracket L plus 1 the second time. And we'll still get this constant. So here's the check. Differentiate once, get an L plus 1, and minus L, differentiate again, bring down L here, and minus L minus 1. So the solution satisfies the <coughs> But we don't like this guy because it's going to blow up in general. When L is 0, it's not so bad. But uh, we want it for general L, and besides, we're not. At this stage, we're not actually solving the equation. We're just trying to simplify the equation. So we can just ignore that and just factor out this part, which works for any L. Any questions about that? So here's our guess for what would a form of the function that will simplify our life. We'll Assume that u is rho to the l plus 1 times e to the minus rho times some new function v. Now we just have to plug this form of u into our equation and uh, turn the crank and get an equation for v. So we need to differentiate one time. So you hit the power, bring down the l plus 1 hit the exponential and bring down the minus sign, or we can hit the b and get a derivative of b. And then we need to differentiate that again, and then start getting lots of terms. So here, we can bring down an l, or we can bring down, uh, we can hit the b and get a derivative of b, or we can bring down a minus sign from the exponential. And there's a 2 there because we're going to get a contribution from someone else. It's <coughs> a cross term. So here we can bring down the L plus 1. And we'll get we have another contribution. We can bring down the minus sign. We've already, sorry, we've already got a minus sign. We can hit the V and get a derivative of V. And we can bring down the minus sign and get a plus sign from the exponential. last term, we can bring down the L plus 1, we can uh, bring down minus sign, 
from the exponential, or we can hit this and get a second derivative finally. And uh, if you followed carefully, there's enough arrows to explain all those terms. So if we uh, gather everything together, Yes, just simplifying this mess, <coughs> and factor out the rho to the L and e to the minus rho, and we get some terms that just have these, we get some terms that have a first derivative, and ter one term that has a second derivative. Now, our equation for u was this. So we notice that because we did this nice factorization, some terms are going to drop out because this term is exactly like that term. So when we plug, plug this in here, it'll cancel from both sides. So when we write our equation for d, which is just the terms that are left over after we plug this in here, we won't need this term. It cancels. Also, this term is rho times rho to the l is uh, to the L plus 1, so that term is actually just U. So it's this term. So that term will drop out too. So what we're left with is we'll need this 2L plus 1 multiplying B has to come down, and we had a 2 times L plus 1 minus rho from here. That's there. And this term, since we have a 1 over rho, that's uh, making this, reducing this u, which was rho to the L plus 1, down to rho to the L. So it combines with this term, which had a rho to the L. Just math. Nothing happened. So now, let's assume that we can expand B in a power series. So, it'll be some coefficient C sub j times rho to the j, and we can start from j equals zero up to infinity. And we'll just differentiate that. So, differentiating brings down a j, and get rho to the j minus one. But we're going to want to combine this with terms that have rho to the j. So we can also rewrite that as this. It's the same thing because for j equals 0, the first term vanishes. And this one's starting with j equals 0, the first term is actually 6 of 1. Or another way to see it is you could write uh, k as j minus 1. So j is k plus 1 and plug that in everywhere. And then once you're done, change k to j. It's just, it's just a dummy index. So that's exactly the same as that. And then if we differentiate this guy, uh, we'll get rho to the j minus 1, bring down another j. And we don't have to reshuffle it because in our equation, that second derivative is already multiplied by rho get a rho to the j there as well. So we can take this equation, plug in our power series, 
collect all the terms that have eroded the j together. So we get eroded the j times all these contributions. So that's from the second derivative. This is from the 2L plus 1 was um, the term with no derivatives. So 2L plus 1 is the term with no derivatives. But the a 2L plus 1 with no derivatives and a 2L plus 1 minus rho with one derivative. So here's the 2L plus 1 with rho naught the no derivative. And then the piece with the first derivative, one part of it we use this and one part of it we use that because term with the row, we use the piece with the row to the j, j minus 1. Without the row, we use the row to the j. So one piece will have a cj plus 1, and one piece will have a cj. So now, this power, this power series is supposed to vanish. Row to the j doesn't vanish for arbitrary row, so coefficient has to vanish. So we can get an equation that relates cj plus 1 to cj. So that means we have a recursion formula. And if we just knew the first term, we'd know all the other terms. And we almost know the first term because there's an arbitrary normalization. So we can just rescale it. It's just one little trick. So here's our dividing through by this, we get this recursion relation. Now what would happen when we take go far out in the series? So far out in the series, we can uh, j is much bigger than these guys. So we can write this as 2j over j times j plus 1, which is the same as 2 over j plus 1. So if that was the form, which is approximately is for large j, then the whole series would look like this. We'd get a factorial, because each time we go one further out, we multiply by j plus 1. We get a 2 to the j. And we recognize what that series is. It's e to the 2 row. Now, we made a big deal about how the asymptotic behavior was supposed to be e to the minus row, because if it was e to the plus row, it wouldn't be normalizable. So if v was e to the 2 rho for large rho, then plugging in here, we'll get back e to the rho. So it does indeed satisfy the equation asymptotically, but it's not allowed because it wouldn't make sense for physics, because the wave function has to be normalizable to be a probability. So that means it can't be like this for large j, which means the series has to stop somewhere. So that means there must be some j max, and then the next coefficient is 0. And then after that, the recursion formula will tell you every other term is 0. So if we rewrite the, if we look at this, that means at some point in the series, this numerator must vanish. So the series can terminate. So we get some acceptable probability.
So for some j max, this guy vanishes, so the next term is 0. And that, traditionally, we call this combination n, the principal quantum number, because that's what the old timers called it, so that's what we'll call it. So if we call this n, then that means rho naught has to equal 2n. So that's our quantization condition. And rho naught was just this combination of constants. So where kappa depend was like the square root of minus e. So if we plug in what kappa was, we'll get an equation for the energy. So squaring that equation for kappa, we can write the energy as minus h bar squared kappa squared over twice the mass. And now from here, we know what kappa has to be. It has to be quantized in terms of this integer n. So we get plugging for kappa with this. And then uh, simplifying that mess, we get an alpha squared times the mass times the speed of light squared over 2n squared. So we know this has the right units because E equals mc squared. Mass times speed of light squared is an energy. Alpha is dimensionless and is an integer. And if we plug in the values for these things, the electron mass, the speed of light, and the fine structure constant, divided by 2, we get minus 13.6 electron volts, which we saw uh, a box of the size of an atom has a typical scale of electron volts. So it all makes sense. And then if we want to rewrite um, things in terms of the Bohr radius, because Bohr became came before quantum mechanics. So people wanted to relate it to his theory since it almost worked. So we can rewrite this kappa as 1 over a times n. And uh, using this, a is h bar over alpha times the mass times the speed of light, which is about uh, 0.05 nanometers. So and plugging in for kappa into this expression for rho. Rho is the radius over the core radius times n. So this is the typical size you expect for each state. So as you go up in n, the typical size of r should grow like n times the core radius. So are there any questions? I think I'm going to start writing again, if there's no questions. Last chance. Why does my watch say it's 1.27? What time is it? It's in some other time zone. Okay.
So the full hydrogen wave function is labeled by three quantum numbers, NLM. Oops, sorry. I can see it on my little screen. So that wave function is a function of r, theta, and phi. And there's the radial part, which we just solved. And we saw that those coefficients depended on, those c sub j's depended on l, but they didn't depend on m. So the radial wave function depends on n and l. And there's our ylms. And we know that from what we just saw, the radial wave function, there's a 1 over r that relates it to the reduced function u. There was a rho to the l plus 1. There was an e to the minus rho. And there was a v of rho. This, we just convinced ourselves, is a polynomial because our series terminated. has a degree j max, which is n minus l minus 1. And we have a recursion formula for the coefficients in the polynomial. cj plus 1 is cj times 2j plus l plus 1 minus 2n over j plus 1, j plus 2l plus 2. So now we know everything. So let's look at the ground state. So the energy went like 1 over n squared, minus 1 over n squared. So if we take n equals 0, that's obviously nonsense. But if we take n equals 1, that will give us the deepest binding energy. Uh, so the absolute value of that en binding energy will be the largest if n is the smallest. So the ground state is for n equals 1. And we know the energy is minus 13.6 electron volts. That's our binding energy. And we know that uh, n is j max plus l plus 1. So l must be less than or equal to n minus 1. So if we have n equals 1, that means that l has to be 0. M has to be less than or equal to the absolute value, or the absolute value of M is less than or equal to L, so that means M equals zero. And J max equals zero. So our polynomial is pretty simple, because C1 is zero, so the polynomial is just a constant. My favorite kind. So the wave function constant over the Bohr radius, e to the minus r over a. 
times a y zero zero. And we want to know what that constant is. We just have to normalize the radial wave function. So we're going to integrate from zero to infinity. R one zero R modulus squared. R squared dr. Plugging in the radial wave function. minus 2r over a, because we squared it, r squared dr, and uh, you can look up that integral. So that after looking up that integral, you'll get c naught squared times a over 4 has to equal 1. So C naught should be two over root A. Yeah. Well, C, all the C's are constants. C zero is the first term, and C one is the second term. The second term is zero because J max was zero, and then all the subsequent terms are zero. So there's only one coefficient. And the only thing that determines it is normalizing the wave function. And uh, we also know what y zero zero is. Pi is one over root four pi. So now we have the whole wave function. So the ground state wave function is e to the minus r over a over the square root of pi a cubed. Couldn't get any easier. Just an exponential. So because it's so easy, we'll do something harder. We'll do the first excited state. So that means n equals 2 will be the next guy. So n equals 1 had the deepest binding energy, n equals 2 has a slightly smaller binding energy. So that means it's higher up, because the binding energy is negative. And now we can have L equal to 0, or L equal to 1. If L is 0, M is 0. If L is 1, then M can be 0, or plus or minus 1. So when L equals zero, J max is two minus N is two. So it's two minus L, which is zero minus one. So J max is one now. And if you plug into that recursion formula, you get C one is minus C zero. C two is 
zero, like we thought. So that means our polynomial for v is some constant times 1 minus rho. So plugging in that into our expression for the radial wave function, we'll get r20, some constant over 2a, 1 minus r over 2a, e to the minus r over 2a. So the ground state had e to the minus r over a, now we've got e to the minus r over 2a. So you can see already that the typical size is going to be twice as big. For L equals 1, J max is N, which is 2, minus L, minus 1, so it's 0. So that means C1 is 0 again, and we'll get a simple wave function. There's an R to the, there was a row to the L in our wave function, so we get a factor of R and an exponential. So you can see how to do this in for arbitrary excited state. For a given n, you can work out what j max is and l max, and then apply the recursion formula for each case of l, and get these polynomials. Or you can use the Rodriguez formula that he had, or you can look it up in some textbook. But that won't work on the exam. Well, actually, I'm going to give you the formulas. So. You can still look it up. But if you if you were held at gunpoint, you'd know how to... You'd use the recursion for... If someone held a gun to your head, you'd use the recursion formula and work out what the wave function was. So, in general, we can have L0, 1, 2, up to N minus 1. And for each L... There are, we saw that there's 2L plus 1 possible values of M because M could be 0, plus or minus 1, plus or minus 2, up to plus or minus L. So the plus or minuses give 2L and 0 gives plus 1. So the degeneracy of the level N count the number of states. So L can go from 0 to n minus 1. For each L, there's two L plus 1 M's. So we just have to add that up. So the one term we can do, and then we need the sum of L from 0 to n minus 1. So sum of 1 over n terms is n. 
And anyone remember the formula for the sum of L? Get n minus 1 times n over 2. So if it had been up to n, it would be n times n plus 1 over 2. That's the formula you usually, usually remember. So we get n plus n squared minus n. So we get n squared degenerate levels, degenerate states with the same energy. And for general L, some French mathematician has already worked out the answer for you. There's an associated Laguerre polynomial. So you take D derivative, P derivatives of the Laguerre polynomial. last quarter, right? Uh, Do you remember the harmonic oscillator? it doesn't look like this is a polynomial because it has exponentials, but after all the derivatives settle down, the exponentials will cancel. So if we take an overlap of two of our hydrogen wave functions, one with quantum numbers nlm, one with n prime l prime m prime, integrate over all space, The answer is, you can quickly do that in your heads. What? Delta n, n prime, delta l, l prime, delta m, m prime. We normalized, we always normalize our wave functions. Wave functions with different quantum numbers are always orthogonal. So that's why you could do it in your heads. So, example problem. If I give you a hydrogen atom in some uh, energy level n, and L has its maximum value, what's the most probable value of uh, R, and what's the expectation value of R? So we know our radial wave function will be some constant times r to the n minus 1 e to the minus r over n a. 
the radial probability is r squared times function r squared. get an r squared r to the 2n minus 2 and an e to the minus 2r over na. And so the most probable value of r is where that's the maximum. So if we differ differentiate that with respect to r, get a 2n from the power. And from the exponential, we'll bring down a minus 2 over na. And so that's going to be 0 at the maximum. So we just, this thing in parentheses has to vanish. multiply, this is an n, we multiply through by na, divide by 2, get n squared a equals r max. So the most probable radial position grows like n squared. What about the expectation value? It's r squared. The probability is the wave function squared, and there's an r squared dr. So, to do an expectation value, we actually have to normalize it. So, to get the most probable value, the normalization didn't matter. normalization, we actually have to integrate our wave function squared, set it equal to 1. Luckily, we just have a power times an exponential. This is, an this is an integral that you can look up in a table. But people who work with hydrogen wave functions memorize this formula. 
So if we have x to the m, e to the minus bx, we get an m factorial over b to the n plus 1. m plus 1. Because b should have opposite units of x. And our integrand has x to the m, and there's one more from dx. So the power has to be 1 over b to the m plus 1, just by dimensional analysis. So in our case, m equals 2n and b equals 2 over na. So we have a squared times 2n factorial for 2 over na to the 2n plus 1. It should be equal to 1. So a is the square root of 2 to the 2n, 2 to the 2n plus 1. Na to the 2n plus 1, 2n factorial. So the expectation value is when we put in one more factor of r. So if you like, we have the wave function complex conjugate operator wave function. The operator is just r, so it just multiplies, nothing fancy. So we just get r times the wave function squared. And we've only got one minute left. So I don't think we'll finish it next time. Keep you in suspense. So, are there any questions about uh, what's. Oh, the quantum questions. So, on SmartSite, there's a poll. Don't start voting until Monday because we need to check that everyone's equation actually made it into the poll. Yeah? Are you voting too? No, I don't get to vote. So, you each, on Monday, you will each get five votes. Pick your five favorite questions. But for the weekend, look at it and make sure that your question got there. If it didn't, send me an email to the 115B email so that I actually get it. And tell me what's wrong. Okay?